Well, beloved, please behold God's living word by turning to 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll be in verses 1 through 7. And uh, just to remember, Peter is writing his letter to elect exiles who are Christians. So Christians are reading this letter. Those who have been born again by God, which God caused according to his great mercy, uh, to save us through Christ. And in fact, uh, we are preserved through the resurrection of Christ. And then he says back in verse 2 of chapter 1 that we are being sanctified by the Spirit and we are brought into Christ for the purpose of obedience. And that's really where we are in this letter is learning obedience. We as Christians are a new race, a holy people set apart to live holy lives because we are saved by a holy God. And Peter is tending to areas in which God has called us to live holy lives. And so we've been talking over the last several weeks about uh, what it is to be subject as a Christian. Uh, subject to all things and primarily we are subject to Christ. But we are subject to governing authorities. We are subject to the masters that we have on this earth. And then here today, we will discuss what it looks like to be subject or submissive uh, in, uh, to the Lord through the marriage relationships uh, that we are in or the covenant relationship that we are in. I, I want to enter the passage today with an understanding that God creates these frameworks for his people to operate in to obey. And that framework, I hope we hear this, is always tethered to the goodness of God, to the, to the character of God. He, he's always for his glory and he's always for our good. And so when he asks us to obey, he is telling us something that is uh, in, like inherently good for us in the very core of who we are as his people. When he asks us to do something, we, we need to remember that the Lord is not a harsh master. He is not a mean Lord. No, he is a gentle Lord, a gracious Lord who is looking to extract sin and rebellion from our hearts. And so uh, today, uh, framing it that way, we are called to trust that God cares for us that his word is good for us and that his character towards us is always for the benefit of his people. We're going to be called today to allow the scriptures to probe our hearts as we are every single week, but let's let the scriptures probe into our hearts to see where there might be sin and a new and fresh opportunity to turn to the Lord and trust in him. Submission itself tends to our sin. It happens to reveal to us where our sin is. But when we submit, it actually helps build trust uh, in who God is, as well as it helps bring us from one degree of glory to another uh, as we walk in faithfulness to him. So uh, the main idea of our passage here today is this. Husbands and wives are to demonstrate their submission to Christ in how they relate to one another. Husbands and, husbands and wives are to uh, demonstrate their submission to Christ in how they relate to one another. If we remember, 
All of our subjection, all of our submission is to Christ alone. And so how does that play itself out primarily in our marriages? Remember what it says in chapter 2, verse 16. We are free people. We are servants of the Lord. And that means we are servants of the Lord in our marriages. A word to our single brothers and sisters in our congregation. Uh, those of you who have not married yet, perhaps some of you are widows or widowers. I, I don't want you to glaze over the text today. Uh, this is a helpful text because marriage is an important way for God to display his character. And, and you are going to benefit from good, faithful marriages in this body. I also want you to know that some of the applications, though they will be specific towards marriage... Uh, there's also general, general applications. Uh, what does it look like for a woman to adorn her inner beauty, her inner self with the things of God? Uh, what does it look like for a man to honor a woman who's made in the image of God? So, so recognize that there are specific and general applications in this. And also recognize if you are a single person in our congregation that you have still a right to speak into the lives of those who are married. Uh, you have the word of God, the objective truth, uh, truthful word of God. And if you see things in marriage that are not according to this passage, please love us in such a way that you would speak these things into our lives and, and recognize that we love you and all of us bear the name of Christ. And so good gospel-centered marriages are important for all of us. Now, Peter breaks his address into two sections. He first addresses wives in verses 1 through 6, and then he address, addresses husbands in verse uh, 7. So we're going to break it down the exact same way Peter breaks it down. And so I'm going to ask the question to the wives first. Wives, how are you to demonstrate your submission to Christ to your husbands? Now, the reality here is Peter knew that the elect wives in exile would have to navigate more difficult things throughout culture. A lot of women were not fairly treated in culture. Uh, many of them could not read. So the fact that he is spending time ministering to the wives is really a sweet, generous look at the heart of our God. And I, I want to do the same thing that Peter is doing to the women of our church today. Christ modeled how women are to be treated. Here, Peter, Peter is echoing it. And, and then we want to make sure that we recognize in our church that wives and women have a profound value in the kingdom of God. And that your roles help to uh, allow the kingdom of God to function in a way that displays the character of God. And so I hope this passage deeply encourages you about the heart of God and what, is, and what you are called to in this wonderful responsibility that you have been given. Now notice what he says there in verse 3. Uh, he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So he's calling wives uh, to submit. And, and when he says likewise there, he, he's referring back. It means that same way to be subject to the pattern of the Christian life that Peter has been talking about, that, we, that he's established. We are to submit to certain authorities, but we are free to do so because we are 
servants of Christ first and foremost. Now, I recognize that our society has a major problem with this little sentence right here. In fact, society hates this sentence. It's going to hate everything that comes out of my mouth today. Um, but we, we, we aren't to fear what society says. We are to subject ourselves to what the word of God says and trust that it is good. Beloved, if God is good, then the things that God asks us to do are also good things. And so when he calls us to uh, wives to be subject to your husbands, it is a good uh, thing. Uh, now, there's a few challenges to this. I, I, I recognize uh, that most notably, sometimes this language here in the passage of being subject or submissive has been twisted uh, for some men to uh, use it to their own advantage, even uh, for the purpose of abuse. And we're, gonna, uh, we're going to tear that down today because God's word is uh, life-giving. Uh, number two, we recognize submission is difficult in general because we are fleshly people who don't like to listen to the word of God. We see Adam and Eve in the garden did not like to listen uh, to the word of God. Uh, Eve had the word, but she chose to trust the serpent's words and said, uh, instead. Adam had the word of God, but he listened to his wife and said, this is just our general sinful nature uh, that we don't like to come under submission. And then some of this, ha some people have used this passage to suggest that women, uh, if they have to submit, are lesser than men. And uh, that is a lie from the father of lies. That's from the devil. That is not the way that God describes women in the scriptures. Uh, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, uh, he created them in his image. Male and female, he created them. And so male and female are equal in the sight of God. Valuable, both imaging the characteristics and the traits of God. Equal in value and equal in dignity. And just because we don't have the same roles doesn't mean equality in God's sight is not there. And I, I pray, ladies, that you hear that, that you hear how valuable you are to your God. You are made in his image. And that is significant for us. Now, we do need to also clarify a couple of things about what submission is not uh, continuously. Husbands, uh, we are, uh, though they're called to submit to us, that does not mean that we get to suppress who they are. Uh, they are made, as we've just said, in the image of God. And so we have to recognize what Genesis 2 says. Women who, who are married to men are fitted, suitable helpers to their husbands. Uh, that they're going to be strong and gifted in areas that you are not. And we want those things to flourish. Many women are intuitive and compassionate and sensitive. And these differences are to be celebrated, not suppressed, because they are more of the whole version or the character of God when we come together and we image God together in marriage. She is a help opposite of you, uh, able and gifted to do things that you are not. And God himself is the helper of Israel. We see this in Exodus 18 and Psalm 46, places like that. So it's a wonderful thing. We want to recognize the differences. 
Uh, We also recognize that wives are not called to just submit blindly to their husbands. Uh, Wives are called to um, uh, submit so as long as the husband is leading in a faithful way or in a way that isn't leading into sin. What I mean by that is this. You are never called to leave Christ's commands to follow your husband's commands. Um, You are called to be faithful. And then thirdly, this does not mean that a husband can do whatever he wants. Man, I hope you hear this. Uh, This does not mean you can abuse your wife or treat her any way that you think is right. And wives, if you are in a relationship that is dangerous or you feel unsafe or you are being uh, abused in some way, tell a friend, uh, tell one of your pastors, uh, tell an authority. Uh, And so we want to make sure that we handle this well today. Uh, Because there are sensitive topics. Uh, These are important topics to deal with. So if submission is not those things, but submission is a good thing, then what is submission? uh, First, let us consider the example of Christ. You guys remember he's praying before he was arrested in Luke 22. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. uh, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Ladies, submission is a call to trust the Father just as Jesus did. So just have that kind of nestled and settled in your heart that this is a good thing. It's actually really good for you. The first thing, there's four ways that this passage kind of discusses submission uh, for the lady, and then we'll get to the men. The first way is this. Uh, Ladies, you're called to demonstrate honor of your husband and recognition of his role to lead. Uh, so, so look with me in uh, verse 1, and then uh, we're going to kind of jump around in the text a little bit. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. So, so notice the language there. It says, your husbands, wives, ladies, you're not to be subject to all men, but wives, you're to be subject to your husbands. That means you are to promote his leadership, and you are to cherish God's design for both your role and the role that God has given uh, him. Now, look at the illustration that he gives. Jump down with me to verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Are you, uh, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So Peter here gives an illustration from the Old Testament of how Sarah honored Abraham and followed his leadership. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 18, God told a 100-year-old Abraham and a 90-year-old Sarah that this time next year they were going to have uh, a baby, uh, the promised seed. And if you remember, Sarah laughed And she responds, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, uh, this is how she responded. She heard the word of God and thought that it was absurd. But I I want us to know that Peter is pointing in verse 6 to the fact that Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him Lord for a reason. Because ultimately, even in her laughing, she still respected her husband by calling him Lord, and she still listened to the word of God because as we ultimately see in the book of Genesis, Sarah obeyed and 
trusted her husband and she agreed to covenant intimacy. She, she trusted the word of God and she listened to her husband. And Peter is pulling this out and he's acknowledging it. And she bore Isaac. She, she carried the seed of the son of promise because of her faithfulness. And this is significant, and Peter's honoring her here, and then he honors all wives, and he calls you wives who live like Sarah, you are her children if you do good and do not fear. Ladies, are you from the school of faith that Sarah comes from? Do you trust God's design? Do you trust his word? Do you trust that he has put you in a covenant relationship for you to live out faithfully? Now, there's a significant difference between Abraham's time and the Roman world that Peter is writing from, just like there's a significant difference from the time we're living in now. But the word of God is the same in all of, those, uh, in all of these situations. Do you trust God's word even when it doesn't make sense, ladies? A, a question to ask yourself. Do you trust God's word even when it doesn't make sense? Because I don't think Sarah's, Sarah heard God's word and it made sense to her in that time. Uh, do you honor your husband when a path forward doesn't seem clear? Do you honor your husband like Sarah called him Lord, when a path doesn't seem clear. Now, let me, let me just say this. I'm not saying that we should go around having our wives call everybody Lord. I, 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 I want to recognize that uh, that's a polite term, like dear sir, uh, an honoring term, okay? Um, but I, I want us to recognize uh, that. But wives, uh, there is a temptation to hold your strengths over your husband's weaknesses, and I think that is what Peter's pushing into. And this can lead to dishonoring your husband in a number of ways. Uh, your strengths, remember, are there to help your husband, to care for him with a skill set that he might not have, uh, not to elevate yourself and to push him down. And so I, I would encourage you, sisters, do not tear down your husbands privately. Uh, or publicly uh, in a group, but speak of him charitably, honorably, recognizing that God has given him a specific position to play within the house, uh, to live out faithfully. Uh, do you pray for your husband to fear the Lord, to trust his word, to lead your family? Uh, do do uh, you encourage him to speak the truth of God back to you? Uh, now, this doesn't mean that um, when it says that you are a suitable helper, this does not mean you are the help. I just want you to remember that. You are fitted to him. As it says in verse 7, is co-heirs of the grace of life. And so you have a responsibility to truly help him. This doesn't mean you can't disagree with him. Uh, this means you disagree with him honorably. Or maybe bring a perspective that he's not considering. Uh, this doesn't mean you don't lead certain things in your house. There's things in our household that Lauren is specifically good at and that she leads in our home. Uh, we're constantly talking about those things, but uh, be aware of your own giftings. But honor the role 
that the Lord has given to your husband. Number two, conduct your lives with gospel clarity. Conduct your lives with gospel clarity. Look what it says there in verse one. Likewise, uh, wives be subject to your own husband, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So we see right here that this isn't just talking about Christian wives with Christian husbands. Wives, the role for you, if you are a Christian, is the same. No, no matter how your husband is, you're called to uh, be faithful. And, and look, the reason that you are to subject to your husband, there's that, that little clause there, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. So there are men who do not obey the word, and these would be men who are not in Christ, who are not Christians. It's much more likely that men were not Christians during this time than wives, and he's calling them to be faithful even if they don't have a Christian husband so that they would win their husband by their, by their pure conduct. These men would have more than likely been unkind and very harsh with their wives, and that's what do not obey the word. And I would even argue many of them would rebel directly against the word if they were worshiping pagan gods. And so this is the call that you have, that you may win. That win is that same idea that, that Peter, or excuse me, that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 9, that he's a slave to all so that he might win some to the faith. Uh, you subject yourself in order that you can Save your husband. Now, this suggests that some will actually be won to the faith by your conduct. And how do we see this? Well, look with me in verse 2. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. When they see your gospel conduct, which is that reverent, pure life, this life that is other, different, constantly honoring him, constantly uh, be, uh, allowing him to lead, uh, you are called to live as a Christian, whether good husband, bad husband. This is what Peter is saying. And their behavior your behavior, is going to give clarity to what the gospel actually is in the home. And first and foremost, remember that men are not in and of themselves worthy to be um, uh, over women. Uh, but you subje subject yourself as to the Lord, like it says in Ephesians 5.22. All, all women submit themselves to their husband because they are first submitting themselves to Christ. And this uh, is the call that you have on you. So you act the way toward him, showing the gospel, and it testifies to the gospel's work in your, in your life, wives. And the idea here is that conduct repeatedly that displays the gospel has an effect on non-believers or can have an effect on non-believers. Think about that. How you live uh, can have an effect on whether or not someone believes the gospel. Uh, if your husband, if you're, if you're married to a non-Christian, or if you don't know your husband is, is a Christian, if he knows you're a Christian, how you live will determine his understanding of what the gospel actually is. 
He'll see uh, that you're not just a Christian by name, but you're a Christian by practice, and this is what the gospel is. If you are married uh, to a non-believer, just remember that your conduct affects this, and I would encourage you, sister, pray that you would live rightly. Uh, Pray that God would work in your husband's heart. Uh, Pray that you would be a woman who carries well the name of Christ in the situation that you are in, knowing that God sees you. He sees you. And that's where we get uh, our third point from. Look with me in verses three and four. We are to, uh, ladies, wives, you are to adorn your heart with the beauty of the gospel. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So adorn your heart with the beauty of the gospel. So what does it mean to adorn? It means to make oneself attractive or to make oneself beautiful. Uh, God's word here is saying that you should focus your adorning not on outward things, but on the inner person. Outward things here, he gives hairstyles and jewelry and clothes, not letting that be the focus of your adorning. Now, he's not saying that all of those things are bad. He's just simply saying that that that's not the focus of the Christian life. It's not the focus of the Christian wife uh, or, or any lady for that matter. He says, ladies, you are to adorn the inner person. Now, ladies, naturally, one way to gain the attention of a man is to focus on the outward adorning uh, of your body. Uh, that is one way to, fo- uh, to get the attention of, of men. But kind of in the idea of what Peter is talking about here in verses 2, 3, and 4, uh, I would encourage you today, sisters, don't win men to yourself. Win men to Christ by the conduct of your life. And, and look how he says to do that. You adorn the hidden person. You make beautiful the hidden person. You are a person. You are a person. Uh, uh, This world looks often at your bodies, but the Lord looks at the inner part of you. You are made in his image, and you are beautiful to him when you adorn the inner part of your being. The outer part will go to dust. You guys remember Ecclesiastes? But, But the inner person will live forever. And so you are to learn who God is and you are to trust the good character of God that he, in asking you to submit, it's, it's for your good. He's, he's wanting to teach things to you about himself, about his own character. He wants to reveal to you who he is, how much he loves you. And so he he tells the hidden person of the heart, uh, or he adorned the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, look what it says there, which is very precious to God, which is very precious to God. Physical beauty fades, but this doesn't fade. And, and, and having a gentle uh, and quiet spirit, this is not uh, weakness, 
This is more of like an inner strength, as one of my sisters brought out to me this week. Uh, showing uh, really kind of a deep trust in who God is. Submission is a powerful thing. A quiet spirit is a beautiful thing. This isn't just talking about different personalities. All personalities from all different types of ladies fit into this command to make sure that you are knowing who God is and spending time with him and and feasting on the character of God and making sure that you uh, know who God is. Outward adorning can be motivated by wanting to feel loved and validated even by your own husband. Uh, and he's saying here, no, adorn, adorn the heart, the inner person, the quiet spirit. This is precious in the sight of God. I, I want you to consider e- even the, the dangers of what we see from Genesis 3.16, that uh, there is in God's judgment this, temp- this temptation that you will have to usurp your husband's authority. Uh, the, Genesis 3.16, it says, wives, you will desire your husband, not talking sexually there, but talking about their position, talking about your husband's position. And so when we think about how that happens, we have to adorn the actual heart. Uh, in fact, even adorning the outside can, can, can lead to trying to usurp his authority in some way, trying to get something, uh, using your power in some way uh, to usurp his authority uh, over you. And so we just want to remind you that this is, a good challenge for you to adorn the heart so that you would be subjected to what God has designed. So a couple of questions about this. Do you care more about how man thinks of you in the flesh? Or do you care more about how God considers your inner person? Uh, Are you working as hard at cultivating your spirit with the word of God and in prayer as you are at cultivating the outside, the body, uh, what time, how are you spending more of your time in adorning? I think a simple way to say this, are you spending more time in the mirror or thinking about how you look uh, or are you spending more time face-to-face with the living God and in prayer, asking God for help, asking to know God, praying for your husband Husbands, encourage your wives to adorn the hidden person. Uh, Do you fuel your wife's value by her looks or do you fuel her love of God? Now, I love to tell my wife she's beautiful and she is beautiful. I tell her all the time, but if I'm just allowing her to think of her value in external beauty, rather in the beauty of the heart, which God is pleased with, then I am mismanaging my own wife. Husbands, I would encourage you to shepherd your wives in this way. Finally, uh, ladies, fear God and not man. Look with me in verses five and six. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah uh, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Uh, Ladies, just underline, holy women who hoped in God. What a a beautiful mantra to live by. A great direction for uh, the ministry of women in our church. 
all women, faithful women, you are called to hope in God and to not find yourself fearing the circumstances that you're in. That's what he's kind of getting at here. There is a tendency that when you submit yourselves to God that you are lacking control. And so you're afraid that you might not be able to control the situation like you want to control the situation. But he's saying, hey, obey God by submitting to your husbands. And do not be frightened by these things. But be faithful. Be faithful in these things. And he says, ladies, do right. Don't be terrified. Trust the Lord as Sarah trusted the Lord. Submit to your husbands and do not live afraid. And remember that the Lord sees you. He sees you. He cares for you. He is teaching you who he is by the assignment that he has given you. The Lord Jesus submitted to the Father. And uh, fruit was born from it. The very same thing is for you. Now, I, I want to take a, a second, ladies, just to push in here. And I'm encouraging you to take your souls to task. To take your own souls to task. I was reminded by a great quote by J.C. Ryle this week. That the Christian in sin must quarrel if he and God are to be friends. Uh, ladies, if, if I could, through the authority of God's word, push in and say, where are you in sin? Uh, where do you find yourself not wanting to submit? Uh, where do you find yourself um, uh, lashing out or trying to usurp your husband's authority? My encouragement to you is to see where you trust this lacking Turn to Christ. Remember the gospel. Remember that your sins are forgiven. And then come under his leadership here, recognizing that this is the best way for you to live that will allow you to flourish and also will bring clarity to the gospel as well as glorify the gospel that, or glorify the God that saved you. Submit to Christ. Trust his word. Appeal to God. Do the hard work of seeing where you don't like to submit. Because submission reveals where sin has not yet really been dealt with in terms of repentance. Going, I don't want to do this. I don't. Check it. Bring it to the Lord. Ask him to heal it. And the Lord will begin to do a deep work. Now, husbands, how are you to demonstrate submission to your wives? Now, I recognize the majority of this sermon is with wives, and uh, I don't want you to think that the lopsidedness is, uh, like, equal. Husbands, it's going to be shorter, but it's going to be heavy, okay? So get your pens ready, all right? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. So a shorter section does not mean of lesser value here. Husbands, there's three things I want us to recognize from this text today. These are all applications. It says in verse 7 at the very beginning, to live with your wives in an understanding way. So the first thing I want to bring out is live with her recognizing that she is different than you. She is different than you. Uh, we need to be considerate in this. We do not treat her uh, as one of our brothers. 
Uh, we do not treat her the same way we would want to be treated necessarily. Uh, we don't treat her as one of the buddies. We treat her as woman. And you are called to understand that she has differences. Husbands, uh, look at me for just a second. You are to study your wife. You are to know her better than anybody knows her. You're to know her better than her best friend who understands her better than you do knows her based on how you submit to getting to know her heart. The first step of that is recognizing that she is different than you. No one should know her the way that you do. Have you asked her questions lately like, what is going on in your life that I don't know about? Uh, what can I help uh, talk through with you? Uh, what can I carry for you? What, what part of your life right now is hardest that you haven't shared with me yet? Uh, coming alongside her and helping her see the value of her own life, but it starts with you valuing her life and growing to love what she loves. Brothers, celebrate her strengths that you don't have. Be patient with her weaknesses, praise God for her differences, and pray for understanding. That's what you are called to do first and foremost. Number two, look what it says there in the text. You are to honor her. Now, the New Testament pushes a lot of new idea about caring for the weaker vessel, caring for the, the outsider, uh, caring for those that society has passed over. And here, you are called to honor woman, your wife, as the weaker vessel. Now, weaker isn't teased out in the text, but the heart of what he is saying uh, is don't take advantage of her perceived weaknesses. Uh, don't take advantage, whether it be physical strength or if she's more sensitive or emotional, uh, but you are to guard her, to protect her. We see this all the way back in the garden. All of this theology is just nestled in Genesis 2 and 3. Uh, you are to provide and protect her. You are to cherish her. You are to recognize the beautiful role that God has given to her. And you are to defend her at all costs. Now we see Jesus gives a beautiful picture of this in John chapter 4. Jesus, remember, he's with the Samaritan woman. I once heard a pastor say that the Jews were the outcast uh, of society and the Samaritans were the outcast of the Jews and women were the outcast of the Samaritans and a woman who had been married five times was the outcast of the women. So when Jesus sits down with uh, a Samaritan woman who had been married five times in John chapter 4, and he looks her in the eye, and he recognizes that she is a person, that she is a daughter, that he claimed before uh, creation began, he reached into all that brokenness, he reveals himself as Messiah, and he ministers to her heart, and she leaves healed. What a beautiful picture of how a husband is to care for his bride, just as Christ is giving us an example of how he cared for his church there in John 4. Husbands, when's the last time you sat down with your wives and you looked her in the eye and you ministered to the deep places of her heart, finding that she is worth, to, worth uh, being honored, valuable and precious in the sight of God, to be encouraged to adorn herself. 
in her heart, in the inner person. Weaker does not mean lesser. Weaker is we approach our wives and we minister to them and we find them precious. Husbands, when's the last time you sat down and you looked your wife in the eye and you began to minister the word of God to her heart? And finally, number three, men treat her as an heir of the same grace. Look what it says there. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. Men, the same legal document that has your name written on it in Christ's blood has her name written on it if she is in Christ. She is of equal participation in terms of receiving the mercy of God. You are not more inclined to God's grace than she is. And so the beautiful thing is we are called to lay down our lives for our wives just as Christ laid down his life for the church. We see this in Ephesians 5. This isn't ruling with an iron fist. This is a gentle, loving shepherd who comes to his flock who's hurting and weak, and he comes to defend, protect, and to give himself up for her. And that starts with remembering that she's received the same grace that you have. Brothers, my encouragement to you is to take your soul to task today to check where you are not being a faithful husband, where you are in sin, where you have been harsh, where you have not washed her with the word, where you have not lived with her in an understanding way. Where in your life have you begun to find more value in your life than in her life? This is against the very word of God that that has been given to us. This is against the very gospel that has saved you. And we're called to consider uh, these things today. I love what Luke wrote in Acts chapter 16. We men are to act like men. Act like men. This world desperately needs men to act like men. I'm not talking about machoism and big muscles. I'm talking about faithfulness, men who fear God and who love their wives so much that they're willing to lay themselves down for her. This is what we are called to. We are called to provide men. We are called to protect. We are called to sacrifice. We are called to lead our wives. We are called to nurture our wives. We are called to wash them with the word. And when we wash ourselves with the word first, we are more likely to wash them with the word next. I feel oftentimes we don't wash our own selves with the word. We just live in the memory bank Let the word wash over you. And look what it says. So that your prayers may not be hindered. There's a reason he's telling you this, men. The Lord sees the ways you love his people, especially your wife, his daughter. And what this means is when you go to him asking for things and you don't care about the things that he has revealed... things about your own marriage, about your own life, about your own responsibilities, and you're not caring for her, that does have a direct impact on your prayers because there's a misunderstanding about the gospel somewhere. There's no trust in God for the forgiveness of sins. There's no humility that's eking out because you're not spending time face-to-face with God. You're simply asking for things and you're not getting things. Like a dear brother reminded our sermon prep group this week, from James chapter four, 
We ask and we do not receive because we ask wrongly to spend it on our own passions. That's what he's talking about here. So we want to be faithful to ask the Lord uh, for things for our wife that, that fit the glorious gospel that we are a part of, that we've been saved by. Beloved, in closing, we are reminded in this topic that Adam and Eve did not trust the word of God. Eve just said, I don't want the word of God. I want what the serpent is saying. Do you remember that man is judged in Genesis 3 for listening to his wife rather than listening to the word? And here's the reality. We're all born of Adam. We're all sinners. This, these commands are impossible to fulfill in the flesh. We cannot do them. But the good news, in that same judgment that's given in Genesis 3, there's a promise that's also given. That there's going to be a seed that comes, and the seed is going to crush the head of the serpent. And anybody who trusts in that seed will be saved from the power of sin and also the presence of sin. And this is what makes the glorious gospel so wonderful. Abraham trusted God that the seed would come through him. Sarah trusted God that the seed would go through her. And if we believe in the same gospel, Galatians 3, that Abraham did, we're heirs of the same promise. Ladies, you are daughters of Sarah, provided you trust the seed. And we are redeemed through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter has already written in this book. And so by the time we recognize what Paul commands in Ephesians 5, uh, ladies, uh, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Uh, husbands, lay down your, your lives for your wives. We recognize that we actually have the power to do that because the Spirit of God now dwells within us. And we have this instruction, this good instruction to listen to. So we're saved by the gospel. We're saved by this, this seed that has been promised to us, even in the midst of all of our judgment and sin. And then we have the power to be faithful in it. Oh, that the Lord would help us to do this, that we would be faithful to do this, church. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today be faithful to practice what a gospel-shaped marriage looks like. Father, thank you for your glorious gospel the gospel that saves, the gospel that convicts. Uh, Lord, we cannot do these things in the flesh. We, we, we cannot do these things trying really hard. We have to be subject, Father, to, to Christ as Lord. We have to trust that the Spirit is working in us to sanctify us. We have to trust that you are for our good and that these things you've asked us to do, Father, help us to be shaped more into the image of your beloved Son. Give us a fresh new perspective today, Father, on the importance of our roles as husbands and of wives so that you're glorified and that, Father, we are edified. We pray this in the powerful name of Christ. Amen.